This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. Good afternoon, it's 20 to 1. I'm Bruce Scott with Mel Driscoll. This is Cosmopolitan News and Views. We're here till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Your lunchtime listening. If you're having a bit of lunch at the moment, take it easy. Cup of coffee, cup of tea, Milo. Um, just lay off the, um, the liquor for the afternoon. If you're recovering after a hard day's night, uh, good afternoon to you too. Well, it is March 13, uh, 2022. It's uh, 72 years ago, 1873. The Scottish Football Association was formed with seven member clubs. Among the clubs formed Glasgow Rangers. These uh, The rivals Celtic, 1887, becoming more than sport, religious, Celtic linked to the Catholic Church. Uh, Celtic won the Scottish FA Cup for the first time in 1892, the Rangers 1894. The Scottish League 1890, Dumbarton won the first title, Celtic and Rangers dominating that event. The Ibrox, the famous Ibrox in Glasgow and Hampton Park also in Glasgow, the best known venues. Of course, a good old soccer cheer that we have uh, found this afternoon. And of course, talk about the Rangers Football Club. Here we go. Here is Lex McLean and the um, the Rangers football team. Every other the Yeah. 
McLean and the um, Rangers football team every other Saturday at 3FM 89.0. Waiting for Mel Driscoll, we'll chat about what's going on. Well, what have, what's been happening in my week? Well, Monday, because one of my housemates uh, tested positive for COVID, I, we had to get tests and... My building manager was unhappy that he couldn't get any rats. So off I go to the tent down by Anglesey Pharmacy. Yep, had the test. 15 minutes later, proved negative. So I've been through that. Get the little stick up your nose, up your nostril. Tickles. But it's not as bad as you think. So uh, just take it easy. And the news yesterday while I was reading that there's a new um, breed of COVID in Australia, it's both Delta and Omicron mixed together and it's ravaging Australia at the moment and rates of COVID in Scotland are going up. We'll be checking out after one o'clock this afternoon what is happening. Yeah, you, you, see, you see the hosp- people in hospital and all that and um, the death toll is over 100. So just take it easy this afternoon and please go get tested. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right, children, all right, teachers here. Now, lessons, what should we have today? Arithmetic? No! English? No! Thank goodness for that. Now, what would you like? Tell us a story! Tell you a story? I think that'll be a good idea. Son! Yes, now then. Once upon a time, there was a toothbrush who lived all alone in a great big bathroom. Alone, that is, except for a tube of toothpaste. The tube of toothpaste was very amorous. Sometimes it would turn its nozzle towards the toothbrush and sing. Squeeze me, squeeze me, never let me go. But the blue toothbrush didn't care for the toothpaste. Then one morning, what do you think happened? There was another toothbrush in the rack. A pink toothbrush. And the blue toothbrush looked towards the pink toothbrush and said, You're a pink toothbrush, I'm a blue toothbrush. Have we met somewhere before? You're a pink toothbrush, and I think toothbrush that we met by the bathroom door. Glad to meet toothbrush, such a sweet toothbrush. How you thrill me through and through. Don't be hard, toothbrush, on a soft toothbrush, cause I can't help loving you. Every time I hear you whistle, it makes my nylon bristle. You're a pink toothbrush, I'm a blue toothbrush, won't you marry me in haste? I'll be true toothbrush, just to you toothbrush, when we both use the same toothpaste. All right, children, I want to see if you've been listening. When I say two, join in on the chorus. One, three.
Every time I hear you whistle It makes my nylon bristle You're a pink toothbrush I'm a blue toothbrush Won't you marry me in haste? I'll be true toothbrush Just to you toothbrush When we both use the same toothpaste That was very good. You can all take the day off. 11 to 1 at Free FM 89.0. The late Max Bygraves, you're a pink toothbrush. Yeah, I was listening to some quirky songs on another radio station uh, last week when I came off air. And great show, very popular show. And we're going to play a few quirky songs in between the interviews this afternoon. Good afternoon, Mr. Driscoll. Good afternoon. What a pleasant day. But we hear of so many of the contacts of people we know who are in isolation now. It's definitely near its peak. Yeah, and, and um, we'll see after one o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, a lot happening around town. We had a someone got bashed on the expressway um, in the last couple of days, and um, yep, and uh, just reading the court news before, and two brothers and a youth. Was, well, two brothers were sentenced to five years in jail uh, this week for robbing the Aberdeen Superette. So, are the are the crimes rates going up or going down? And have you ever tried to try and reach a police officer? Hey, I was looking at the YouTube version of this the other day and uh, I thought we'll play it today, being our quirky songs. Leroy Anderson on the typewriter. FM 89.0 on the YouTube fo- uh, movie I saw was Leroy Anderson, the full orchestra, all in the full gear doing the typewriter. Mel remembers that one, don't you, Mel? I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play more quirky as we get uh, through the afternoon. It's 8 to 1, our first guest. Alan Torreson. As homecomings kickstart the economy, tourists plan new travels. We revert to where we were before COVID-19. But is New Zealand's manufacturing industry tooled up, set to go? What do you say, Alan? Yes, 
Yes, hi. Good afternoon. Yeah. Yes, no, um, but the industry, um, my, I'm involved with the, um, uh, been involved with the industry for some years now, and um, the industry at present um, is probably overindulged in orders. Um, most of the manufacturers, um, there's only a small number in New Zealand now, but they've all got orders um, yeah, well out um, in particular, like... Uh, Leisure Line, which is one of the larger caravan manufacturers in New Zealand, um, or the largest caravan manufacturer in New Zealand, they've, they've got orders out to a year and a half in advance. And, um, um, and likewise with the, um, the manufacturers of motorhomes, the, the, the scale of motorhome manufacturing has dropped off somewhat, but um, it's still very, very busy. When I say it's dropped off, I'm comparing it back to the um, heyday of... Um, uh, your Maui, Brits, Kia, motorhomes, Pacific Horizon, that when there's a good thousand odd ca- um, uh, motorhomes or very close to it being built with CI Munro and Otrahonga, as well as um, the contribution that Kia were making up in Auckland and Trail Light. Um, yes, yeah, so, um, but at, at the moment, no, it, it is, it, the industry is very, very um, capable of. Um, Keeping up with the uh, with the um, demand, with the exception of the fact that people may have to wait. Um, the other point being is that there are many, many, I guess, thousands of motorhomes in New Zealand now. Many have gone into private um, ownership over the years, uh, ex rentals and that. And um, some people are actually hiring those out for tourist um, tourists as well. It's like. Um, when you can swap a batch or, or whatever they're doing, something very similar to that with some of the motorhomes and that now. Um, but uh, I know the rental the rental companies have had a big downturn um, with COVID. It's been you know, quite catastrophic for all of them, and there's yeah. been a lot of vans parked up. Yeah, with with, but, co- um, with, with COVID, of course, um, wasn't it? In the, when we had the first outbreak, uh, they uh, they put all the people with COVID in motorhomes in the middle of Alexandra Park in Auckland. That, that, that's that's correct. There's um, a number of the motorhome companies had uh, um, motorhomes um, used for um, um, you know, isolation purposes or um, quarantine purposes, and um, I guess that gave them some revenue as well. Um, but um, it's still not the same as kind of travelling around New Zealand uh, and people. You know, it's, it's a spin-off where it's not only the use of the motorhomes, but it's the money that the, the people spend around New Zealand at the different locations. And as you probably said on the news, there seem to be a lot of those areas still suffering because of lack of tourists through the areas. Yeah. And, and, of course, another thing too, wasn't it a company that had very bad messages painted on some of their vans that got them into serious issues? That, that's correct, yeah. I, I think the whole industry probably tended to frown on that um, a wee bit because... Um, it was a, definitely a, a very unusual method of trying to advertise their, I don't know whether they call it exclusivity or what, but um, it, it, they were quite damaging. So, you know, you, you drive along and you see one of the vans and, you know, I'm a very open-minded guy and I've been in the industry a long time, but you see these some of those signs and they, they are definitely rather detrimental, I believe. <laughs> the recreational motorhome manufacturing section uh, is allied with the New Zealand Manufacturers Association. You're playing a part uh, no, in that, that in the administrative side, so you uh, watch the trends. not quite correct there, Mel, sorry. Um, the, the, the Recreational Vehicle and Caravan Manufacturers Association was a standalone organisation, but um, it was formed because with manufacturing, um, 
you know, there are exclusive areas of manufacturing which weren't really relevant to the recreational vehicle industry. And hence, in about 2005, the, um, the RVCMANZ, or Recreational Vehicle and Caravan Manufacturers Association, was formed. Um, it was actually um, a group of the New Zealand manufacturers, um, as well as some of the prime in- importers were um, um, involved in it, um, to get it up and running. And it's basically because everyone was standalone and doing their own thing. And um, to get a little bit of more commonality in some of the ideas and you know, like you know, the, the like the mission statement of the uh, RBCMANZ was to uh, like promote quality manufacturing processes, keep you know the New Zealand industry abreast of, of technology, um, you know, and ensuring that optimum safety features were observed and adhered to, and working together as a group on you know, legis- legislative um, you know, organisation requirements and that too, such as you know gas and electrical as they come in. Um, and also, you know, to form common goals with some of the uh, recreational vehicle and caravan manufacturers associations overseas, like uh, in Australia and that. Uh, as of recently, um, the RVCMANZ, because it's quite a mouthful, um, it's been shortened. Um, it still is the, is the main body, but um, is the RVINZ, which is the Recreational Vehicle Industry of New Zealand, um, is the shorter name for it. But... Uh, um, and as I said, it does comprise of you know, uh, manufacturers uh, and repair ser- uh, you know, largest service organisations in New Zealand and importers as well. So, yep. Wherever we find factories in New Zealand, we imagine, Alan, the manufacturing process relies a lot on imported components without which yes. we grind to a standstill. Yes, um, it's going to be, it has been a challenge and it's probably going to continue to be a challenge because um, we've been affected by COVID um, um, and also shipping problems too, as you've probably heard about um, over the last year or so about the amount of boats that are actually held off the main shipping ports in New Zealand waiting to dock to unload the containers because of backlogs there. And, you know, they've got issues with staffing and that there as well. But that, that has also influenced some of the international shipping companies as well. On um, They've either upped the rates to New Zealand, um, which you know, all shipping rates seem to have gone up, and um, um, the other thing is, is that the, the frequency has dropped off because I think that they, they can't really afford to have their, their ships sitting for you know, basically weeks on end offshore waiting to be unloaded, whereas to a lot of other ports around the world they can get in and get out and... Uh, um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. So um, components coming, you know, we, you know, we get them out of the United States, China, Europe, um, Great Britain, Australia, and um, all those places are experiencing their own problems in manufacture, whether it be COVID in the factory affecting their production rates or, um, you know, the ability to have things shipped out. I mean, even in New Zealand at the moment, as a manufacturer, if we've got a... a um, a customer in the South Island wanting wanting parts. Um, some of the shipping delays now, uh, just from, uh, for example, Hamilton to uh, um, the South Island, you know, some of them can be a couple of weeks, uh, whereas it only used to be a few days. And uh, it's just all you know, the the freight companies, courier companies, are all having staff shortages as well. And uh, there's also the influence of the cost of fuel, which had already put up um, freight rates the most most. Um, most carriers as well so 
there, there are challenges ahead, but um, I think most manufacturers are trying, have been trying to plan ahead and have been carrying and importing a lot more stock to ensure that they can keep ahead, uh, because obviously it's quite disastrous if a manufacturer happens to run out of parts, and it means that a vehicle can't move up the production line because of something relatively basic and it can't be finished. Um, you end up with a situation where you're, you're clogging the factory with vehicles, um, you've got staff that can't work on them, and so th- there's a number of variables that actually come into it, but I think the industry, the way it's approached at the moment, um, is with the importers of RV parts, they've been looking ahead at what their customers need and require, and they're doing the every, everything they can to ensure that there are no shortages, but you know, everyone's face, facing the facts inevitably there will be shortages and we've got to look at alternatives um, so yes yep. F- Free FM, it's one o'clock importing and exporting you say are we exporting any components to Russia as ports of call around the world are banning Russian ships from their ports and uh, are we importing anything for caravans from Russia no, 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 to my knowledge I don't think um, I've been in the industry quite a few years and um, the majority of the imports as I said are either out of America, out of, uh, out of Europe, ex- obviously excluding the, the, Europe would be uh, you know, um, Germany, Holland, and, and the UK and France, um, and then um, uh, Australia, China. Um, yeah, that, 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 those are the parts. I know the, the Russian influence is definitely, you know, where I guess it'll affect us long term is probably more so um, you know, the situation as far as, you know, if, if the fuel situation is affected even further due to their influence, well, you know, that will obviously have a spin-off on our costs. So, yeah. well, what about electric vehicles when it comes to this? Well, the, the electric vehicles, um, I personally, as of late, have been basically involved with the, the towed vehicle situation, but electric vehicles, there's a lot, lot more talk about them now, a lot more uh, interest in them. Um, and there is development of um, some electric um, uh, motorhomes within New Zealand. Um, um, it's all relatively new at the moment, but um, I believe it will be something that the rental companies are probably quite keen on to uh, progress with as well. Um, but, you know, once again, um, the, the electric vehicles are still relatively new, and um, I, I just look at a couple of the arguments at the moment um, on, you know, just general internet discussion and forums where, you know, with the price of fuel, the way it's gone up astronomically, it's, it's affecting a lot of people and people will tend to probably consider an alternative such as an electric power, whether it be for their car or or, or maybe looking into the RV situation when they become available. But um, there's also the argument too on, on why our fuel costs are so great um, when you consider the, 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 the barrels of oil haven't necessarily gone up that much and looking back years ago um it just um you know and obviously the i think the high tax rate on fuel here um if they were all cut back it was you've got a situation where they probably work against the government probably plans and policies of trying to get people into electric vehicles because if fuel is cheaper um why would people want to get into electric vehicles so i know there's the environmental issue which you know is, is obviously something to be seriously considered but i think in all seriousness um I think we're all in a kind of a very much a wait-and-see situation because there's going to be a lot of pressure on fuel costs, and that will also determine, too, on 
vehicle usage, particularly in the RV industry as well. America is famous for its caravan parks. Could you see with the with housing shortages that we'll see in the future caravan parks like you see in America with all these RVs and caravans lined up and uh, it becomes a bit of a bit of a community? Well, well yes, I, I think I can. Um, it's probably something that hasn't really caught on in New Zealand at the moment. Um, I've travelled overseas and stayed in some of the American tra- uh, caravan parks and they're enormous, you know, and the facilities are fantastic there. Um, I've also um, had friends living um, whilst travelling in some of the Australian caravan parks and they, they are quite expensive, um, the, the Australian parks, and the Australian ones are made up very much so for permanent living as well with a lot of people. And so I guess the influence of the cost of living, cost of houses and that too... Um, to have a, a beautiful new caravan for a fraction of the price and then able to set it up um, with minimal cost in a caravan park, it's, it's certainly an attraction that could be considered. Yeah. So. I, I think we've got to get through council ro- rules because I came up here because I live close to the station. There's a van that's parked every weekend on one of the streets here in Hamilton. It's been told not to park there and uh, the occupants seem a bit dubious. So... <laughs> That's another problem. Yeah, that is true because there's a number of areas in New Zealand now where the councils have clamped down considerably and um, you know, the term freedom camping is... Uh, uh, you, the, the New Zealand Motorhome Caravan Association has done a great job in New Zealand. They've got a huge membership now of you know, both motorhome and caravan people, um, but they've been a big one to push the self-containment issue because... You know, unfortunately, there's tourists have come out here, and, and probably even New Zealanders too, who've gone out and um, you know, freedom camping, and they, they haven't considered the, the damage to the environment by dumping um, uh, sewage or um, just just their waste in 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 areas where they're not they, they shouldn't be, and and. Uh, you know, particularly in, in you know, little creeks and bits yep. and pieces that cause contamination of that. Whereas the New Zealand Motorhome Caravan Association, with their accreditation situation on um, self-containment, is a great thing because what it means is that somebody who's self has to, their vehicles or caravans have to be self-contained. They have to ensure that they carry so much you know, water and also so much grey water, and their toilets must be. Um, yeah. Um, you know, like a cassette toilet or if it has a black tank, it's got to be a, a certain capacity too. Um, um, and um, um, that way, basically, with a cassette toilet, it can yep. be removed and emptied down a normal toilet system and flushed and, um, it, you know, you're not contaminating the environment. Um, I know, I think there's a few issues coming up in the future because there's some government um, announcement about curtailing um, all the there's, there's lots of people have converted vans into caravans and motorhomes very successfully and you know, there's um, a, a, a portable toilet you, you know, they call it a porta potty which has its own reservoir and water inside it and it has a removable tank underneath which has waste in it and um, there's concern about some of these people been going out and um, just dumping their waste here there and everywhere whereas they're exactly the same as a permanently inbuilt toilet, which has a removable gazette. For an unscrupulous person, they could end up dumping that waste anywhere. Um, well, that, that's, so that's the, what the idea is to come down hard on those people 
um, who are abusing the situation and spoiling it for all the others. Well, um, that's what happened at the have... recent Wellington riots. You saw these motorhomes yeah. blocking the streets, and then you hear reports of these people were dumping their waste down the um, wastewater. No, that's right. That, 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 that's true. There's, you know, once again, it's an abuse of you know, the use of the facilities and the environment. I mean, look, you know, there's been toilets in, in caravans and motorhomes for years, and generally the, you know, the, 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 the greater percentage of the population using them um, respect and use them correctly, but it's just you end up with a situation where you know, some people decide to, as with anything, they, they, they don't... You know, that they're lazy. It's just like throwing your rubbish out of your car onto the street rather than finding a rubbish bin, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, they do tend to spoil it for a lot, and it, it t- tends to bring about more and more, you know, constraints for everybody. You know? Spoiling it for the people who could be law-abiding and benefit yeah. from those facilities. You certainly bring a wide perspective of that industry, but there's another that you've been connected for probably half your life, 25 years. In aviation, yes, yes, yes no, it was certainly a, a few years there. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, um, sometimes I've got to sit down and think, you know, how old I am, because uh, for all the things I've done, I should be about one hundred and fifty years old. But <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You, you burn the the candle at both ends, Alan. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I've, I've been in the RV industry for many, many years. Uh, with um, C.I. Munro, uh, general manager's company called Serrata up in Auckland, where we were a major importer and what have you of um, uh, caravan parts and uh, supply into New Zealand to all the manufacturers then. And I've also been involved with Leisure Line Caravans as well in Hamilton. Um, but prior to that, my, my life uh, was 25 odd years in the aviation industry. Now, do we come up against the government regulations here? Have you been exporting Sputniks? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I've been avoid, avoided that. Yeah, um, I, I've been a little bit remote from the. I've always had an interest and in keep in touch in the aviation game, but because I'm not actually working it at the moment. But uh, um, I did have the pleasure of working with uh, um, New Zealand Aerospace while well, start off as Air Engine Services when I was a young lad. I had two ambitions in life when I left school. One was to learn to fly, and the other was to get a motorcycle, and I managed to get both. So. <laughs> um, but I joined Aero Services as a young man, um, uh, making um, parts for air tours and um, the air trainer, which has just celebrated its uh, um, 50th anniversary. It's um, uh, been quite, quite a big thing with... Um, when it comes to um, aircraft, is there still any action out at Ru- 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 Rukihira Airport? Uh, sorry, can you say that again? Is there still any air action out at Ru- uh, Rukihira uh, Airport? Yes, there is. Uh, unfortunately, um, the, uh, New Zealand Aerospace changed... Um, uh, well, Air Engine Services became, Pacific Aeros- became New Zealand Aerospace, where the CD4 and Fletch production was running, and then later on it became... Uh, it actually got into financial difficulties and ended up um, became Pacific Aerospace, and um, and I think you know, Pacific Aerospace has had a few little trials and tribulations over the years too. But um, there's a new company purchased um, um, Pacific Aerospace. Pacific Aerospace, um, um, uh, the, the, you know, so that they, they, their plan is, I believe, to uh, 
continue the build of the, the, the Crescos, and I've, I've seen the support of the CD4 air trainer as well. So, um, yeah, it could maybe recover the success of earlier aircraft yeah, like Fletcher's. It, it'd be great to see it happen because you know, I'm a firm believer of, you know, of retaining industries and skills within New Zealand. Um, I think over the years we, we have lost a lot, you know, yeah. in our car manufacturing places, the assembly plants they used to have down in Wellington, what have you. But those sort of things I think is essential to us, especially as we get into more challenging times and embargoes and things not coming to New Zealand. If we've got the ability to make things here, well, I think it's a huge asset, and along with the associated skills with that too. We've got to remember Sir Aussie James. I had the pleasure of going around field days with him one day, and we, we had a very long chat. What a gentleman. Ozzy was a really, as you said, he is a gentleman. Um, I, I, I liked Ozzy. I got on very well with him. Um, I went to a, a I can remember, um, went to an aerial agricultural conference in Queenstown, and uh, uh, we sat together um, and spoke about a lot of things from the history of the the, the, the business and um, down there. And no, he's, he's a, you know, always he's always willing to say hi to everybody, no matter who they were, you know, always had a cheerful face on them, you know, a very nice guy, uh, Aussie, and he did a lot, you know, building up James Aviation originally, um, um, James Aviation's building and uh, some of the staff actually got absorbed into um, Pacific Aerospace as it grew, and uh, the hangar that they've got, the original James hangar, is now actually under Pacific Aerospace, so. Well, the technical uh, capacity of aircraft is one thing but marketing is another and those good public yes, relations yes. that you're referring to that go a long way for a little yes, country yes. punching above our weight in the case of the royal thai air force they heard about right, our aircraft yes. um well during my time i i moved from engineering um into sales and marketing and supply and um one of my functions was to deal with the Royal New Zealand Air Force, the Royal Australian Air Force, and the Royal Thai Air Force um, with product support of the aircraft. And then later on, um, I was actually involved in the promotion of the aircraft themselves to the Royal Thai Air Force. And uh, I had the privilege of going over to Thailand and meeting with um, the the Thai Air Force and going out to one of their big bases and doing a presentation on the, the CT4E air trainer, um, which um, you know, was a fantastic aircraft. Uh, it was basically um, a big brother to the standard CD4 and it had gone up from 200 horsepower to a 300 horsepower Lycoming engine. And um, so whereas the CD4, the standard CD4 was a great aeroplane to fly, with the extra horsepower you basically just pointed the nose up and you went there, you know. And I always remember, you know, you know a lot of the Thai Air Force pilots who'd done a lot of flying there themselves. And, uh, you know, they asked, you know, about the CD4 some of them had flown in the CD4, the standard CD4, and um, you know, they just asked for my impressions. And I said, look, you know, from my, my, my perception, you know, I'd flown a lot of airplane systems and pipers and that. But I found the CT4 air trainer was incredible, particularly the E, because of the power it had. But for me, when I got into it, it wasn't like sitting in an airplane. It was actually the airplane became an extension of your body. And um, it, it was an amazing feeling, you know, just... You know, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of motorcycles in my life too I've come across with exactly the same feeling. You don't sit on them, you actually become a part of them. And the CD4 air train I found exactly like that as well. So. That might apply to some of the aircraft, especially fighters, 
that turn up in the wings over New Zealand. Uh, sorry, what was that? I, I missed that. That's a bad line. Wings over New Zealand. Oh, that yes, yes. came to be one that would um, show the paces of aircraft that had been designed and proven, so much so that they're still flying. Yes, 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 that's right. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, Dave Haywood um, is the man behind uh, Wings over New Zealand, and um, he, he, he does some amazing documentaries and interviews on aviation within New Zealand and abroad, um, and um, just some of the history of some of the... Um, the, the aircraft we've had, um, the people who've been involved in it. We've just recently did an interview um, with um, with uh, them on the CD4 air trainer itself and the, the history behind it. You were born in Hamilton and Allen. You've spent a lot of time largely between here in Hamilton and Te Awamutu, the connections there. I think you settled for about halfway to live. Yeah, I was born in Hamilton. Uh, um, yeah, obviously, my early childhood, I can't remember all of it, but I, I, was, I was actually born when my parents were actually living in uh, um for a short time and then moved to Hamilton. And, um, yeah, and then as I um, grew up and left home and that, I moved uh, to Tiamudu area and um, Harper area, and uh, then I left uh, and worked in the aviation industry Interestingly enough, the, my first uh, job in Australia was for a company called Icarus Aviation. Now, the chap who owned Icarus Aviation was Elf Coleman, who originally formed Aero Engine Services in New Zealand and was involved with New Zealand Aerospace as well. He then went on to um, start up Aerospace Industries in Australia, which they, they ran into some challenges. And anyway, he the, the new company was Icarus Aviation, which was quite ironic because Icarus was the guy who flew too close to the sun and his, uh, his, yes, wings, yep. his wax wings felt and he fell to the yeah, earth. Well, yeah. it was kind of a, a resemblance of what had happened to Alf and his history of the involvement in aviation where he kind of soared very, very high and then uh, got his wings burnt a wee bit and then came back down to the ground. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, but, um, yeah, sorry? I, I, I grew up in Kaipaki, uh, which is pretty near Rua, 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 um, Rukahia, Rukahia. and uh, I can of course remember the old control tower with the green windows. Is that, yes. is that, yes. con- is that control tower still manned these days? Uh, no, the, the original control tower was pulled down and they built a new control tower behind the, uh, the Euro Club now. Um, hmm. the, the old one, I, I've got very fond memories because I had friends who were air traffic controllers and uh, quite often on a, a Sunday night you'd go across and Sit up with them until they kind of went off duty, and uh, amazing view from up there, eh? And, uh, was, yeah, uh, no, yeah. no, it was it was a sight as a kid going going along the uh, going through Glenview and into Hamilton to see that control tower because it was there for many yes. many years. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, been there, been there many many years. I don't know whether it was actually um, the chap who used to own Powerbeat had um, aspirations of trying to get hold of it and resurrecting it. Um, Peter would hear it, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Whatever happened with it was just demolished totally. But I, I, I would have made a, an amazing look out on the top of your house. <laughs> we 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 actually interviewed Peter Witahira all about five or six years ago. Um, yep. Where is he now? Um, just to be honest, um, he's still uh, involved with business. I think he's um, a little bit more involved with uh, politics at the moment too. He did call into our our, our uh, caravan facility in Hamilton at one stage and had a quick 
talked to me and um, you know, kind of shared some old times. But uh, um, he just, if I can di- digress a wee bit, he, yep. when he opened Powerbeat International, which was, you know, the, one of the markets of theirs was the battery that never went flat, you know, um, I arranged with um, Tamarinui Aero Co-op, who just purchased one of our new Crescos, and we had a CT4 air trainer, and we actually landed them on the road outside Powerbeat International and taxied them in, and for his opening, these aircraft were on display there as well. So That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, you yeah achieved... well, I certainly impressed everybody with the road being closed momentarily while the aeroplane landed on it. So. <laughs> I, th- I, I, I think uh, there was um, Peter... Uh, sorry, with, with Peter, I think a lot of people believed his story, and... Um, yeah, we won't go into that. He may he may be listening. <laughs> yeah, he was very inventive. And yeah, he, he was. He was. He had some amazing inventions that uh, you know, just a shame they didn't all come to fruition to make all the dollars that you know, would have been like. But uh, no, no, very nice guy. I got on very well, with Peter. So yeah. And uh, like him, you've made good use of your time. He was formerly in a police officer who had unusual hours uh, during day or night when he was free and that's when he potted around in a in a workshop that was filled with all sorts of things that stimulated ideas in peter well when we come to your life really you've fulfilled uh, quite a few of those ambitions Uh, you mentioned the motorbike but it didn't stop there you wanted four um, wheels you wanted fast wheels too yeah yeah how did no, that I'm all happen? Involved, yes. No, I'm, I'm still involved in the motorcycling. Um, I, I, years ago, when I was younger, I used to do uh, circuit racing. Um, but, um, you know, I kind of got out of it because it was kind of motorbikes flying, motorbikes flying. So the flying took over for a while. But um, um, in 2005, um, I've always had motorcycles. I decided to get back into drag racing, motorcycle drag racing. And uh, um, it started off, and then Kawasaki brought out the new... 1400 Kawasaki, which was um, quite a beast, and fortunately my wife was very supportive, and um, we we purchased it, and um, I started racing that, and then um, my wife is an American, we had um, family in um, in uh, Los Angeles and also in um, Las Vegas, and uh, by kind of thinking about it, one of my aspirations many many years ago, you know, I'd seen films of Burt Munro and. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to the salt flats, and uh, you know, it's something I'd always had in my mind. It'd be a great place to go. And um, anyway, with my wife's support and uh, that, we and some a great sponsors' support, um, we um, ended up in 2007 went across to Bonneville for the first time to run the Kawasaki ZX14 um, on the Bonneville salt flats, and. Um, we, um, when we went over there, the, 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 it's most unusual because it's very, very high, and um, basically with the, with the, the height and the heat, you end up with a density altitude of you know, probably seven to eight thousand feet, which is very, very high. So the the engines are kind of gasping for breath somewhat, and uh, also the other strange fact is that the salt flats actually flood; the, the water kind of comes up through them. And the first time we went there, when we drove onto the salt flats, we had a, a, a huge big um, uh, motorhome um, and uh, the water was basically up to the axles on that and I thought good grief, surely you're not going <laughs> to you know, race on this stuff, but anyway as we got out it dried out a bit further but um, it was touch and go but they did decide to run the event and we ran it and um, 
in practice, I, I'd done it. You know, it was very unofficial because uh, I'd been practicing um, on Hamilton Airport with my aviation background that allowed me to run the bike in between aircraft flights, and I had a radio headset on and all that. <laughs> and uh, we'd done you know well in excess of the record um, at Bonneville, and um, we kind of went over there thinking this is going to be a walk in the park, but suddenly found that the salt flaps and the, the surface there was very very challenging it's a combination of almost between um sand and and ice and uh, uh it was very very slippery um you, know, you go through a, what's called a rookie's training course and they say okay um you you, you don't deaccelerate quickly you don't break or you do, do either of those or you sit up quickly you'll probably crash and so these things go through your mind anyway we went out and we you know with a lot of challenges we slowly built up our speed um, the record for our class was 186 miles an hour, um, and um, you know we, as I said, would run well in excess of that in New Zealand. Um, but because of the conditions, and we didn't actually appreciate till we got there, is the amount of loss you get. You could be doing you know 160, 180 miles an hour, and your motorcycle is still wheel spinning or car, yeah. you know. And so there's at least 10% loss in traction, you know. Yeah. So, um, um, for example, if you're doing, say, 200 mile an hour, um, or, or you're, you're doing 220 mile an hour, your real speed is probably only 200 mile an hour because your, your back wheel is still spinning. Um, so we found that significantly, and um, um, I did have the misfortune on the last day through trying so hard. Um, the, the cars, as they went out on the track, were spinning out, um, it was very slippery, a bit of wind and they'd spin around and they rutted the track quite significantly and um, so to try and avoid these ruts because yeah, it would be like high speed motocross over 100 miles yep. an hour and um, we ran to kind of the, the edge of the track, uh, or very close to it so off the edge of the track um, there was actually you know, it was like soft sand basically, yep. it was a very so if your tyre went into that it became a lot harder to control Anyway, I was running on my last run at Bonneville there, and we're around the 180-odd mile an hour mark, and um, I hit something which I believe was a tear-off visor off one of the other riders. It was enough to cause the back wheel to slide out to the left, which put me off the track to the right. And, uh, um, you know, Murphy's Law, you can, you, can, you can be in a paddock with millions of miles of, well, well yeah, hundreds of miles of flat spot, but right in front of me was one of the timing towers that they had built of, yeah. Yeah, timber and PVC, yeah. and, uh, and I crashed straight through that, so it actually uh, demolished all oh. the bearings of the bike. You, you, you're still a... find that you, you don't brake and you don't accelerate. I was probably slowed down to about 150 mile an hour with the bike sliding everywhere, had my head down, and I tried to uh, control the best I could. And then I, I, I stabilised. I thought oh, I've got it, and the bike, in the meantime, turned probably another. 15 degrees back towards the track and I'd gone enough distance to actually go through the next timing marker so I actually demolished two timing markers <laughs> at Bonneville and that finished our racing for the day well, so I was okay and uh, um, yeah it was one hell of an experience I can tell you that, yeah. the adrenaline was pumping significantly, uh, but we did go back um, in 2008 to run as a standard production bike and we went back again in 2009 um, 2009 was our best run at the time. Um, unfortunately, the records in between times had gone up to 200 and, uh, just over 200 mile an hour in our class, um, and uh, we were 198.702 miles an hour. 
with the back wheel doing 230 miles an hour. So, so that was our experience there. And then back to New Zealand, I've been uh, drag racing um, uh, around New Zealand. I, I always try to run the national series. And I've kind of lost count, but I, I've probably got about roughly 10 national number one titles over the years um, with the drag racing, and I'm still participating. Yep. This, this last year and this year have been quite challenging with COVID. Yep. Um, we've been handicapped somewhat. We can't. Um, what well, we're fellow competitors around New Zealand were able to travel to the South Island. Our Waikato and Auckland areas were locked down. We weren't able to travel, so we lost uh, some 50 points just yep. not being able to travel. So yep. I was sitting in, I, I believe I'm sitting in fourth place, and I was sitting in fourth. If I had been able to travel just for the sake of travelling, probably would have put me in the second place. But, you know, these things happen. I always had to try us. And, uh, yeah, but it's, it's a great sport um, running in the drags. So I run modified bike. I have run competition bike. And um, you, you, you tend to, you tend to, um, um, you know, there's great camaraderie amongst all the races, car, yeah. car drivers and bike, bike drivers and that. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, a good sport, and it keeps me useful. I, I've got plans to be doing it when I'm 100 years old, if all goes well. <laughs> good on you. Hey, Are uh, people still yeah. attempting land speed records in New Zealand, Alan? Yes, yes. That's, a, that's another um, another part. Um, at um, Reparoa, there's Gowdy's Road, and we have an organisation in New Zealand called Land Speed New Zealand. And just last weekend, they ran an event Um I'd normally like to try and participate in it, but unfortunately with the drag racing, um, uh, it was crossing over and there's a, a different configuration for your bike for drag racing than there is for land speed racing. And um, the national series meant a lot to me, so I was kind of in that configuration rather than for land speed. But anyway, we went down to the land speed racing and um, supported them. Um, uh, we, as myself and the three other friends, went down. We did uh, uh, the tech inspection on some of the vehicles uh, prior to them going out, and there's everything from Lamborghinis to Holdens to Fords to in the way of the cars. There's a, uh, actually a belly tank racer, which was basically a fuel tank uh, of a um, um, big aircraft, and uh, they turn it into a um, uh, like a cigar type racer, mm. yeah. And um, they call it a, yeah. yep. Um, and um, and motorcycles, plenty of motorcycles there. And um, the top speed um, went to a Kawasaki. Um, Supercharged 1000, um, run by Scott Wilkins, and um, he he achieved I think it was 364 mile, uh, 364 kilometres per hour. Um, I just have to verify that, um, but um, I think it was 364. But it was the top speed of the day. But uh, there's another chap down there who had a Lamborghini, um, and um, he he went very very well. But he is most disgusted, I think, because I think his his, his wife or partner drove the same car and beat his, his speed. So was, you know, there's always a bit of rivalry in there too. But no, it was a great event. The Gowdy's Road is a really good site. It was just unfortunate this year it couldn't be promoted the way it normally would. So the number of races were down because of COVID limitations and also spectators. But um, you know, if anyone's interested, keep an eye out for Land Speed Racing New Zealand. And um, that event will be happening again. It's, it's, it's either an annual or a biannual event. Um, but um, it's an excellent service, and, um, uh, and the locals all kind of put on food and that down there for you. And um, it was, it was, I think it was a lot of police charities were actually running it this year. And a uh, uh, great event. Uh, we yep. went very, very well. So. Now we know, Alan, why you were sought out 
for Frankton Thunder because uh, it's a field that you, know, you can add quite a lot of noise to, it seems, <laughs> and talking yes, oh, because... Well, that's true. Um, you know, with Frankton Thunder, um, there, there's myself and uh, um, a, a few others who got our heads together a few years ago to... Um, Run a, um, a petrol head type event in Frankton to one put, help put Frankton on the spot, but also offer another alternative where you know, like a, lot, a lot of people like going to the beach shop, and we wanted to basically create something similar to that in, in, in Frankton. And um, um, we, we actually wanted to have a lot more live demonstrations. The first year, we, we actually ran some live um, drag racing um, down High Street. Um, it was really, really great. A lot of people were interested, but the big challenge was um, um, maintaining you know, a safe area for the spectators. Um, we had a whole lot of concrete blocks, which were, uh, um, you, you know, the seat you see on the side of the motorways and what have you. So they, put, you know, they were they had, like, they had Mary Mary in that too. And we had some of those the first year, but unfortunately the machine, I think they weighed five tons each of the machine that was moving them broke down part of the way through the process, so we had to replace the balance with uh, water-filled plastic barriers, which, yeah, they're fine, but um, we really want something a little bit better. So maybe in, in, in time to come, we, we might look at that again, because uh, people like the they like smell and noise and that too. So, uh, uh, But um, Franklin and Thunder has grown. We've got um, the, uh, um, the military reenactors involvement, military collectors involvement, um, we've got hot rods, we've got um, different brands of cars like the Mustang yeah. Club. Um, we've introduced, there's been burlesque, steampunk. Um, uh, the steampunk has actually grown very, very well. And uh, those who participate with the steampunk side have really, really uh, you know, enjoyed it and it's getting bigger and better. Each year there's, there's more and more inter interesting um, items there. So, yeah, don't they? And the, um, they also have the little. Um, the, the Miss Frankton Thunder um, beauty show, so they kind of you know, um, have their photos taken with um, some of the top cars there and that, and um, yeah, and we live bands, um, we normally run two stages with live bands and that, and um, it, it's, it's, it's all been just, you know, gold coin do donation, and uh, our support charity has been St. Vincent de Paul, um, uh, we, we, we could probably do a lot better in the way of raising more funds if we could control the people coming in and actually making sure even if everyone did give a dollar, but you know, there's probably a lot that come in and don't yep. give the dollar, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a community and charity event. Um, and um, uh, also there's a, it combines with a toy run that comes in from Cambridge yes. um, with cars and bikes, and um, they bring in toys for St. Vincent de Paul as yep. well, so... Oh, it's yep. a great event. Um, sadly, last year was canned because of COVID. This year, to be honest, I think it's about today. We should actually be all out at front and thunder, making a lot of noise. But um, uh, and it, it unfortunately was canned again this year. Yep. So it looks like yep. we could have a two-year break before we get it going again. But yep. um, all of the organisers are very, very keen to you know, get in and get it going again. And uh, we just hope we can get this COVID put behind everybody yep. and um, just yep. move forward. I've got the new rates of COVID coming up in a second, but uh, your love of motorbikes and, and, and motor racing is tempered by the idiots who news Rooker here as a drag strip. Sorry, I missed that. What was that? Yeah, no, no. I, I'm just saying your love of motorsport is tempered by the idiots who news uh, the road on Rooker here to uh, go drag racing. Oh, right. Yeah, 
right, right. No, no. Unfortunately, there, there are a few people who um, um, have, you know, they. Uh, it's, it's a shame that if there were a few more strips or burnout pads or whatever, they could do it under a controlled situation where they don't, you know, upset anybody, it'd be fine. But unfortunately, they tend to go out to a country road and um, do their burnouts and, you know, harass, I think, some of the locals at times. Yep. And uh, it's, it's not, that, that's, that's, a, that's a sad part about yep. it. But, you know, the, the idea behind, uh, you know, the, the sports that I'm involved in is to, yep. you know, get people off the streets, have their fun, and have it off the tra- yeah on the yeah. track, not on the on the road. So, yeah. yeah, and well, one case out in Rooka here, one of the local residents uh, went out and um, fired a few shots off at them, and um, sadly got yes. went to court. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw something about that on uh, yeah, I, I I did hear about that on the on the news and uh, community news and that um, yeah, it's, it's sad, but but I mean it's. I guess it's one of those things where somebody's got so frustrated or they've been threatened or whatever. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad if it you know, gets down to that. But um, I think you know, the, the, you know, there are opportunities and there are locations where if they approach the right people, they could quite possibly get access to facilities like, you know, you've got Mystery Creek down there. Um, um, and and, you know, Park. Most of them seem to like doing the burnouts and... Uh, uh, well, going by Lamarck's, I see on the road round round the Harper Rookie area anyway. Oh but, um, my God! If you were back in your teens, Alan, you'd be with them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was always conservative. I always I behaved myself, I believe. So uh, <laughs> that's why I, I went to the track at a young age. So uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, Alan, it's been a pleasure speaking to you again, mate. And um, and I hope one of your dreams one of these days is go to the TT races on the Isle of Man. Yes, I'd love to, but I believe they've actually cancelled that this year, uh, which I'm not that I was planning to go, but it is sad. This is once again another one of those effects of COVID, which is very, very sad. But uh, yes, that, that, that could be on the agenda as well. But uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of aspirations, yeah. A man of many talents. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Alan. Okay, Alan Torres. Bye-bye. Right, Thanks for talking. Cheers. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Hey, great, great man. And um, yeah, I... Yeah, I was in court that day when that man got sentenced for firing the rifle off at the boy races. Hey, you've been waiting for this, and uh, the news is that um, we've um, we've just got to go back a sh- back a one. Eight people with COVID have died in the latest um, announcement. While there are 14,494 community cases with 896 in hospital and 18 in ICU today, the Ministry of Health has reported this is down from yesterday. So fingers crossed. Of the deaths announced today, three were in their three people were in their 60s, one in their 70s, one was in their 80s, and three were in their 90s. So eight people in their 60s to 90s have died. Two were male and six were female. Previously, seven deaths were reported uh, Friday and Saturday. There continues to be a drop in overall case numbers. The ministry said for four days last week, case numbers over 20,000 a day were reported, uh, falling to 18,699 yesterday and continuing with 14,494 today. So there has been a drop in community cases. Jimmy Bean was a funny looking fella if he had another mouth, he'd smell a bit of ice. 
queered him from winning a beauty show. It was like a steamboat funnel on the railway yard till the Blackpool Tunnel when you can't see Jim when he opens his mouth, you know. And as poor Jim goes walking about, you can hear the kids all hollering out. What? What? Oh, um... What a mouth, what a mouth, what a north and south Blimey, what a mouth he's got Now when he was a baby, we'll all go another With his poor old mother, used to feed him with a shovel What a gap, poor chap He's never been known to laugh If he did, it's a penny to admit that his face would fall in half He can whisper in his own ear, ain't it funny in the quench? He's first, now he's got to take a drink, oh my. He got so drunk one foggy morning, he laid in the road and started the yawn and a poor old man was delivering coals close by. And as he went to shoot the load, he sawed his mouth out in the Oh, 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 yes, um, what a mouth, what a mouth, what an open south, blimey, what a mouth he's got. Now the poor old man being a short-sighted feather when he saw Jim's mouth, he took it for the cellar and he shot the lot right into his mouth, no joke. Jim, poor soul's got a tummy full of coal and he coughs up lumps of coke. I thought it was all over. Oh, yes. Um, what a mouth, what a mouth, what an open south. Blimey, what a mouth he's got. Now the poor old man being a short-sighted fella when he saw Jim's mouth. He took it for the cellar and he shot the lot right into his mouth. No joke. Jim, poor soul's got a tummy full of coal and he coughs up lumps of coke. Oi! FM 89.0, independent community media, yes, Tommy Steele, what a mouth, what a north and south, 17 minutes to two, Trevor's not far away, here at Free FM. Down by the station, early in the morning, see the empty freight cars all in a row, in the station master, shuffle order up, now load the train and off she'll go. Have you loaded on the coal? Yes, we've loaded on the coal. Oh, down by the station early in the morning. Hear the station master loading up the train. Have you loaded on the trunks? Yes, we've loaded on the trunks. And the coal. And the coal. Oh, down by the station early in the morning. Hear the station master loading up the train. Have you loaded on the cows? Yes, we loaded on the cows. And the coal. And the coal. Oh, down by the station early in the morning. Hear the station master loading up the train. Have you loaded on the pigs? Yes, we loaded on the pigs. And the cows. And the cows. And the coal. And the coal. Oh, down by the station early in the morning. Hear the station master loading up the train. 
loading up the train. Have you loaded on the ducks? Yes, we've loaded on the ducks. And the pigs. And the pigs. And the cows. And the cows. And the coal. And the coal. Oh, down by the station early in the morning. See the loaded freight cars all in a row. Hear the station master shouting all aboard. Now, chug, chug, toot, toot, off we go. There we are. Well, for all you, all you train fans, down by the station early in the morning. We don't know what's been happening at the Hamilton Railway Station this morning. But um, we've got a person looking at, through the window at us. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, Dwayne is here. Afternoon, sir. Yeah, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, it's good to see the sunshine weather out there. Don't you, uh, don't you make it go away? Oh, I try not to. <laughs> what are you going to talk about? Um... Previously, when I said to you guys yep. um, about the stolen vehicles yes. and all that, yep. um, over the weekend, there was about 38 cars got stolen over two nights. From which part of the city? From Frankton area through to Dinsdale, um, over um, Horsham Downs, around that area. Uh, well... With all these stolen cars, I wonder if some of these owners have got on to the police. I wonder how long does it take to get the police to look into it? It doesn't take them that long. Mm-hmm. Um, once the vehicles get picked up and get taken back to our yard, straight away that the police do a fingerprint um, session and everything, and then it's up to... Um, and then the owners get a hold of the... Um, finance or get a hold of the insurance company and then from there if it's been written off the insurance company writes it off of course so these cars that are stolen are some of them used for crime yes what's the most favorite car for doing a crime say a ram raid uh toyota acra master demio and the master 66 yeah, no, we've, um, I, I know a lot of businesses I see on Victoria Street have put up bollards outside their stores to stop these uh, ram raids like the camera shop and other shops throughout the city. But that doesn't stop uh, people breaking into places. Not really, but um, with the boulevards, um, it's easy to to go through. Even the San Paul's, over, over in Hamilton East, there's a guy who's got um, real thick cages on his window. Yes. And, um... Yeah, in a, in a case I mentioned earlier, the owners of the Aberdeen Superette will be happy now that uh, two brothers and a juvenile have been sentenced in the Hamilton District Court. Um, yes, but as so, this guy's got real thick steel bars on his, on his shop. It, it, it is sad, um, but... It's the way of life. Hey, thank you, Dwayne, for that information. Awesome. Thank have, a, have a good afternoon. <laughs> you too. You got you got my afternoon prepared? You got my afternoon tea prepared? Um, just go to the fish and chip shop. <laughs> thank you very much. Coming up next, we'll talk to Trevor. Talk about quirky songs. Here's Frank Sinatra and Eddie Hodges. Next time you're Ja, 
just what makes that little old ant think he'll move that rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. He's got high apple pie in the sky. Hope so. Anytime you're getting low, instead of letting go, just remember that ant. Oops! There goes another rubber tree plant. Oops! There goes another rubber tree plant. Silly old ram thought he'd punch a hole in a dam. No one could make that ram scram. He kept butting that dam 'cause he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had high apple pie in the sky. Hopes so anytime you're feeling bad, instead of feeling sad. Just remember that ram. Oops! There goes a billion kilowatt Oops, ram. Oops! There goes a billion kilowatt ram. High hopes, Frank Sinatra and Eddie Hodges from the movie A Hole in the Head. Yes, it's ten minutes to two. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Oh, I thought I'd talk about the Ukraine. I yes. mean, everybody knows a lot about what's going on there. But I was watching the newscast on it, and I thought I was looking at the bits of London during war, the early 1940s, World War Two. The, the rubble everywhere is a cross between that and, and an earthquake. And I thought I felt so sorry for the civilians there, particularly the old and that, and they're very young, trying to escape the barrage of bombardment not knowing where the destination is going to end up going into the unknown un- dark uncertain future not knowing the house they, their home left behind is left standing these are the tragedies of war but does Putin realise what he's doing well he, we've been talking off here is he another Adolf Hitler yes well this is another thing I think I'll, I might put to the public there's the question what's the difference between Hitler and Putin the answer is the hair and the brunastage. <laughs> Everything else is pretty identical. Yeah, no, I um, uh, I was listening to former uh, Auckland Mayor um, Hendis out, out to west of Auckland, uh, Sir Bob Harvey, this morning, and it seems that Putin was in New Zealand at various times, um, early when he was a KGB officer, and um, he was at various venues for, throughout Auckland at, at one time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he was in the KGB, and Donald Trump says he's a highly intelligent man. Well, I, I would take what Trump says with a grain of salt. Yeah. Intelligence and intelligence, I guess. Oh, uh, but, but I have to say this, and uh, others will agree with me that Trump is an idiot. Um, well, it's a wonder he got elected when I think of it as, as, as a clown show from start to finish. <laughs> Anyway, what's been happening in your life this week? Um, oh, uh, 
not a great deal has been happening, uh, but uh, apart from doing a, f- a bit of artwork, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, was, I was thinking about my today's program, watching the news items, and there's a, so much information people can talk about, but not living there myself, I can only imagine the atrocities for the civilians trying to escape, get out to Poland and whatnot, and they're right in the middle of winter, just a shirt on their back virtually. Yeah. I saw that I saw that young child in in the middle of the road with no parents or no guardians, and that's another that's another sad. Yeah, it's all part of the of the, of the horrors of war and a, a, a maternity ward. I think it's <coughs> excuse me, a children's hospital as well was bombarded, and there was casualties under the rubble. Well, Hamza, of course, back here in New Zealand, you probably uh, heard me earlier in the day say that I've had a COVID test this week. And, yeah, uh, I did hear that. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, because one of my housemates um, went under <coughs> with uh, COVID this week and uh, my um, building manager had trouble getting rats tests and he went to Founder's Seat, he was told to get, he went to the Founder's Seat, decided he was told to get back in his car. So um, he, he told me, go down to Anglesey Pharmacy. I just sat there for a couple of minutes Good guy, very funny guy, and he came over and did the test, and then 20 minutes later, he texted me and uh, said, no, you're negative, so onwards and upwards, that's why I'm here today. But I'm I'm fearing that where I live that there's going to be another more COVID cases because my some of my housemates are not behaving themselves at the moment. So, oh, right, so yeah. close contacts and whatnot. It, it is. Hey, we'll hopefully we'll do it again next week, again. Thank you for coming in this afternoon. And um, Oh, a footnote oh, from yes. last week. <clears throat> and I was talking about that horrible ad, ad, ad uh, road to uh, to the end, I think it was. What it was, that's about is by, by 2050, there'd be no fatalities on the road. <laughs> How ridiculous. The population would have gone up by a third by then, and humans being as they are, there's going to be idiots always on the road. I, accidents and fatalities. I, I hope somebody gets on to the Advertising Standards Authority because that ad could be misleading. Well, they're making a comedy out of it, basically. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a serious problem. So if you have troubles with that ad, ring the Advertising Standards Authority. They do remove ads from television. I believe there's some stories that some ads have been removed lately that... Um, come up with dubious um, statistics, etc., etc. Yeah, some of them so so ridiculous and childlike. Yeah. Hey, we'll do it again next week and enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, we'll meet outside. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll meet outside in the afternoon. It's a beautiful old mild day in the city. And that's right, and a gentle breeze. Anyway, we'll catch you shortly. We'll leave you with the highwaymen. Michael Rowe, the boat ashore, to end our show with quirky songs this afternoon this was one uk and one us back in 1960 even learned the song at school will take you out to harmony waikato see ya folks
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.